on, you know, having victory over the enemy at the gates. And we're in that passage in Philippians, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 4, about the gates. The Bible talks about guarding your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the springs of life or the issues of life. And then it talks about these other gates that surround the heart, the feet, the mouth, the ears, eyes, and so forth. And we'll be doing a whole series on that on Sundays, uh, not every Wednesday. I want to do that more on Sundays. It's devotional. But I want to have a message today. I've been praying about it. And I want to talk about how to experience and experiencing the peace of God. Experiencing the peace of God. I was reading a recent survey. I don't know how recently it was done, but I was reading it. It was recent for me. And it was asking men, you know, what was the thing that they wanted most in their homes. And it was kind of shocking, the answer. It wasn't gyms. It wasn't a gym. It wasn't a really cool study. It wasn't a, you know, uh, a place to, you know, it wasn't expensive uh, cars. It wasn't expensive furniture. Uh, you know, it wasn't well-equipped garages, you know, things of that nature. The thing that most men wanted was tranquility in their homes. They wanted peace. And what's it, what good is it if you have a bunch of things, but you don't have peace in your heart, Amen. And they wanted peace. And I thought, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because I think uh, a lot of people have things, but they don't have peace. But if you can have peace, the Bible says, without a bunch of things, amen? In fact, the true peace that we have isn't based on things. People want a piece of this and a piece of that, P-I-E-C-E. And they get a lot of pieces of things, but they're never put back together again. And they don't have P-E-A-C-E, amen? That only comes from a relationship with God. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, 22, it says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 21 says, there's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. That's repeated a couple times in the book of Isaiah. That verse, ever since I was a young Christian, stuck in my head because I knew that verse. Before I knew that verse, I knew the reality of not having peace in my heart, not having peace in my life. As a young teenage rebel that thought I knew it all, that God was a joke, it was Christianity was a myth that can be your own kind of God and what have you. Uh, the joke was on me, you know, and I had no peace. You know, I looked for peace in all the wrong places, as many of you have been on that same journey, amen. And you don't know, you don't find peace out of the Lord, outside the Lord. Now, it's interesting because we know what's gone on. We know that we're created to know peace. We know the scriptures say that God made everybody upright, made humanity upright, mankind upright, but man has sought out many devices. That even though God declared everything very good in Genesis chapter 2 on the sixth day of creation, that man in his rebellion turned from God, wanted to be his own God, and that peace that was in Eden, the peace that was in paradise, peace between God and his people, his creation, peace between the animals and human beings, the harmony that existed was shattered there was guilt, there was sin, there was rebellion, there was consequences. And humanity, or the first couple, was booted out of Eden. And they returned to the dust. And even among their own children, Cain, Abel, there was not peace, was there? Cain committed the first murder. The Bible says Satan is a murderer from the beginning. In the way Satan did, because he led humanity astray. He's a father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. But as far as human-to-human -human murder, the first one we read about is Cain killing Abel, unless you consider Eve giving the fruit to Adam. You know, you could say that was a form of murder. But there was chaos. There was death 
in the world. And I want to talk about how we experience and experiencing the peace of God because man was separated from God because of sin. And that's the problem with humanity today. When you listen to the news, does it seem like the world has peace? Yes or no? Has the United Nations been successful geopolitically in bringing peace? We don't have, a, we don't have peace in our own country between warring factions and warring journalists and <laughs> warring parties and, and party, people within the parties warring each other. Uh, there's no peace to the wicked, the scriptures say. Now it's interesting because uh, <coughs> Dr. Don Colber, he's uh, not only a doctor, but he wrote a book called uh, Stress Less. And in that book, he opines that, he notes that up to 90% of all visits to primary care, he puts the statistic between 75 and 90%, to primary care physicians were stress-related he stated that Americans consume about 5 billion tranquilizers, 5 billion barbiturates, 3 billion amph uh, amphetamines, 16 tons of aspirin every year. Much of this, you know, so-called medicine, not all of it's necessarily medicine, uh, is meant to, result, re you know, relieve all kinds of different stresses, as you can imagine. Uh, stress is caused by, the two main things stress is caused by uh, although there's more factors in these two, but is worry and fear. They're one of the two main proponents behind stress. Jesus predicted, he prophesied, and his prophecies have always come to pass. That in the last days, he said, that not only would lawlessness increase, which we're seeing, not only would there be racial tensions, which we're seeing, not only would the love of many grow cold, which we're seeing, not only would there be an increase of all kinds of different, you know, phenomena, but he stated because of the things that would be going down at those times, the hearts of many would what? You remember that verse? Hearts of many would what? Well, they would grow cold. That's true. And we're seeing that. But the hearts of many would what? Fail them for fear of things coming on the earth. That's in the Olivet Discourse, chapter 21, which parallels Mark 13 and Matthew 24. And he said, because of the things that would be coming on the planet, signs and the stars and the suns and the moon, and that, a lot of those things are still to come, so it's going to get a lot worse. And I, there's a, all kinds of different drugs that people are on that aren't even mentioned by uh, Colbert there, the doctor there, uh, that people are on today uh, because of stress in their lives and so forth. And many focus on stress because of the stock market, uh, fin financial market, real estate market, uh, health to themselves, health, to their families, the fear of catching some fatal disease. And what's interesting is Jesus addresses a lot of fear in a lot of his teachings, a lot of worry, anxiety. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Most famous message ever preached or taught every, on earth. He talked a lot about worry. Talked about not worrying about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Just dealing with what you have to deal with today. You need to be focused on making sure, you know, you're right with him through that. But he said, check out the birds of the air, you know, that your father takes care of them. They don't have to worry. He said, look at the, the you know, the flowers of the field, that they don't spin or toil. And he said, Solomon, all of his glory never was adorned like one of those flowers. Because they were strictly... God to the flower, you know, God to the bird. But we take our own initiative and we think we can make things better and sometimes we create a lot of stress that we don't even 
need to have. So it's amazing because when we understand that God created us to have peace, the Bible says God is the God of peace. Amen? Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. When Satan brought a wrench into the situation and God allowed that because we're, we are being tested. We're being tested to see who we're going to love. And when that took place, humanity turned against God and the rebellion that we have against God has increased through the years. But God had a plan. He sent his son into the world. And when Christ was born into the world, one of the great passages about the first Christmas is he would be called Emmanuel, God with us, amen? Mighty God, Father of eternity, but Prince of what? Peace. That was an act of war from God, believe it or not, as strange as that sounds. When Christ came to the world was born, what did Satan try to do right away? Tried to snuff him out, remember? Herod tried to kill him. Revelation 12 gets into the cosmic battle where it talks about the dragon was angry with the woman who brought forth the seed of the woman, the, the, the man-child, which is Christ, and tried to devour him. Amen. He completed his mission, Jesus did. It says in Revelation 12, he was caught up to heaven. He ascended to heaven, the right hand of the Father. Amen. He's coming back again. So the Prince of Peace invaded this world, but he did it to bring peace to us. Amen. In fact, the song of the shepherds, the good shepherds, the angels, you know, and there was all this praise because he came to bring peace, amen, to men of goodwill. And so we have him as the ultimate peacemaker. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, amen. He's the ultimate peacemaker. And the next thing I want to talk about, first thing I want to talk about besides my little introduction there, is the peace that comes through the cross. And I want to make like four or five points. We'll see how much time I think we'll get done with it. Uh, about the different types of peace, different aspects of peace that we should be experiencing as Christians. Peace through the cross. Man's main problem is not what? Financial, right? It's not lack of intelligence. It's not lack of education. It's not lack of enough of this, that, or the other. Man's biggest problem, by far and away, is just an evil heart, sin. In fact, you could take people and put them in the best environments possible. I mean, look how the rich treat other people, right? <laughs> it's pretty bad. A lot of them, not all of them, but many of them, you know? You could be put in a great environment. It doesn't change your heart. You could put a bow tie on a pig. It doesn't change that pig into something other than a pig. What we need is a change of heart, amen? And we need forgiveness. We have that problem called sin. Each and every one of us has been infected. We know the scriptures say there is none righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. We just had a message last Sunday on guarding the heart. And we talked about how the Bible talks about before the flood in Noah's day, that their hearts were evil continually, the thoughts of their hearts, right? In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Amen. So there's a problem that the human race has. And that's our problem too. We have these hearts that if they're unbridled, if they're unreformed, if they're unregenerated, their bent is toward evil, toward selfism, toward serving ourselves as gods. And what Jesus does through the cross, there's a myriad of things that he does. I love the subject of the cross. I love to study the atonement. I love to study the different things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. But 
couple of the main things, the, the first and foremost thing, I believe, is his vicarious or his substitutionary atonement. Him accepting the punishment we deserved. Amen? To me, that's front and center. Because if he doesn't pay for our sins, then we're left in our sins. Amen? Then we can't have peace with God. Because the wrath of God abides on us. Remember the 10th plague in Egypt? What happened at the 10th plague? The firstborn of Egypt was killed. The, the wrath of God was reciprocating the judgment upon Pharaoh and his kingdom because he killed the firstborn among the Jews. Moses was spared from that. The Lord God brought the firstborn death to Egypt. But he stated that if they were to take, if the Hebrews, the Israelites, were to take a full-grown male lamb, which, by the way, they were pictures of Jesus, amen? Jesus was full-grown when he died. He was male. He was a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It says they should take the lamb, and it had to be without defect, right? It says Jesus was without sin. But this is 1,500 years before Christ. And they had to put the blood on their doors if the death angel was to pass their homes and the firstborn was to be spared. In what form was that blood supposed to be put on, a, on the door? In the form of a cross. On the doorpost and the lintel. Amen. And those were the same spots where the blood was splattered on Jesus' cross. The top and the sides. And of course, the blood would fall into the basin below and Jesus' feet were also nailed to the cross. But that, pa that house, and certainly... Certainly you could agree Pharaoh's house had a lot of turmoil that night, didn't it? He was bent low, man. He was broken because the wrath that he deserved, he just tasted part of it came upon him. But because of the death of all those lambs, those Passover lambs, the death angel passed over the house of the Israelites and they had peace in their homes. How much more peace do we have who have applied the blood of Christ to our hearts, amen? The doorposts of our hearts, Amen. Because we are not under the wrath of God now. Because on the cross, what did Jesus say? He said a lot of things. He said seven things. But one of the things he said was to die, Which means what? Paid in full. Amen? Paid in full. He paid your debt. Because you, without Christ dying, if Christ did not come, everything would be different. You would be in your sins. I would be in my sins. We would have no hope. We'd only have to look forward to a just judgment that we would all deserve that none of us could complain about. Amen? But God in his great love and mercy and his amazing love, his amazing grace became a man and died in our place. And we can never let that reality, that profound truth become something that we are casual about. That's why Jesus told us to take the bread and the cup when we gather together in remembrance of him, amen? It's so deep, it's so profound, it's so beautiful. But that separation that happened between God and humanity, Jesus bridged the gap through his cross, amen? So now we can have peace with God because we're, we as Christians, those of you who are putting your trust in Christ and what he did for you, are no longer subject to the wrath that we once were under because we deserved it because Christ paid the pardon for us. In fact, I love this, so I want to talk about peace through the cross. Peace through the cross. Jarvis, no bark. He's tripping out on my voice right now. He's like, wow, he can hear me all the way across the yard. Anyway, sorry, he's just giving that little chirp bark every 30 seconds. Colossians chapter 1. No, he wasn't named after Jarvis, the Iron Man computer. He's named after Jarvis Landry. He plays for the Browns. That was a receiver. 
Anyway, he was on the he was on the Dolphins, but he became a traitor. Anyway, just kidding. Just kidding. Colossians 1, 20 and 21 says, and I love this verse, this, this, these two verses. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, all the fullness of God to dwell in him. And it talks about the fullness of God dwelling in him in, later on in 2a. So I just added that. But it says the fullness dwelling, but it is the fullness of God if you read a little bit later. And it says, and through him to reconcile, listen to this, and through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made, listen, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So the, the first point I want to emphasize is that we have peace with God through the blood of Christ. Amen? How many of you know the main thing you want in life is peace with God? Amen? That comes through the cross. We should never get tired of singing about that old rugged cross. Sing about what Jesus did. When we sing about the cross, we're really singing about what Jesus did for us. Amen? It's not the piece of wood that did it. It's what he did, what God did. Ephesians chapter 6, remember it talks about put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil in the evil day. It talks about the different pieces of armor, breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, you know, the, sh the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, you know, all these wonderful pieces, the belt of, tr sword of the spirit and the belt of truth. But it also talks about having your feet shod or prepared with what? The gospel of peace. I love it. It's called the gospel of peace. And that means we put on our feet, man, because that's what we're about. The, the getting and spreading the gospel out, amen? In fact, a few of our young people just took off today. We prayed for them right as the service was starting, you know, because they just took off to a little island to preach the gospel. They'll be gone for a week. Keep them in prayer. A lot of people just got back from Mexico sharing the gospel of Christ, amen? You know, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and building Jonathan's home. And then uh, some brothers just got back and from building the... Uh, or laying the slab down for the church building. That started now. It's exciting, amen? We're about, how beautiful the mountains of the, are those of those who preach what? The good news, amen? And I love that it's called the gospel of peace because it's the good news. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion. The euangelion of peace. It's the good news of peace. So we, as how many of you guys know, man, the world's filled with bad news, right? COVID-19 and riots and racial tensions and, that's what happens, man, when humanity is left to itself and pushes God away and says, let's do, it our, let's do it our way. Let's be God. Then people exalt themselves above one another. It's Humans at our basis aspect of our nature are not altruistic. We need help. We need salvation. We need deliverance from ourselves. And it doesn't come from ourselves. Just look at human history. It's a history of bloodshed, okay, for thousands of years. But the cross brings peace because he shed his blood in our place so we wouldn't have to have our blood shed. And I love it too. It's also called, Paul calls it the gospel of God. I love that. What does gospel mean? It means what? Good news. I love that. The good news of God. And there's so much bad news, you know? And I tell you what, man. I mean, I can only listen to the news these days for a short amount of time. Just becomes comes so repetitious. If you listen to it too much, a lot of these newscasters and journalists, they don't know the Lord, and you can also become cynical, you know, hopeless, have despair like many of them do. So I like to check out what's going on. I like to see it from a perspective that I agree with. I want truth, you know. But I know what God's Word says. I know how it all ends. I know in the end that we're victorious, amen. So we have great joy. We have great hope. We know in the end there's peace, 
for those who know God and put their trust in him. So it's great to know that. And that peace ultimately comes through the cross and the good news of the gospel, the good news of God. Literally, the Greek literally says the good news of God. People have a lot of bad news. People are ripe to hear the good news. Amen. Share it. I mean, we've got it on video. I don't know what happened. We plan on putting it out in a couple of our podcasts. I'll have to ask Chad about that because he filmed a lot of it and Nico filmed some of it. When we were witnessing in Mexico, we saw several people come to Christ, confess their sins, repent, and turn to Jesus, you know, and from just sharing the good news. And people just need to hear it, you know, need to hear the good news of what Christ did for them and how they could have a new life in Christ. And how many of you know the difference between before you were saved and after you were saved and what your life looked at before you were saved? Do you have more peace before you were saved or after you were saved? <laughs> it's like a chorus. After. Absolutely, you know. Before I was saved, I had no peace. After I was saved, it's been pretty much nothing but peace. Oh, I've had times like everybody else when you go through a trial and you go through some turmoil, you go through some pain, you go through some heartache, you go through some anguish, you, you suffer loss, you see somebody close to you that you die, there's pain and, and so forth. But in the midst of that pain... We could look to the cross and say, praise God, I'm saved through what Christ did on the cross. That the God that created the universe cares for me. He loves me. He's prepared a future for me. Amen. And what does he say in Jeremiah? What does he say? I haven't, prom- I haven't planned what for you? Well, he gave us a hope in a future. Amen. But he hasn't given us calamity. Amen. That's not what he plans for us. But a hope in a future. And that applies to all believers, actually. So we have not only peace with the cross, but we have peace with God. Next, we have peace with God. Listen to Romans 5, 1 and 2. I love these two verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith. What does it mean to be justified by faith? What's the word justified mean? It means to be declared what? Amen. It means to be declared righteous. Boom. Declared righteous. Wow. They just put this light up there, man. And uh, Uh-oh. Well, I'll try to get my message done before it gets too dark. <laughs> I thought, hey, what got brighter is going to get even brighter. Okay. Anyway, I can still see we're fine. But justified means to be declared righteous. Uh, it's like the gavel goes down with the judge. Now, if Christ didn't die for us, we'd be declared condemned, right? But because Christ paid for our sins in our place, we've been declared righteous. This Jonathan's light. Jonathan, I owe you a light bulb there, bro. Sorry about that, man. Uh, anyway, we've been declared righteous. And therefore, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult or rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, Wow. Because we've been declared righteous, we can stand before God and have peace with him. Amen? And it's not the kind of peace where God says, okay, maybe I'll accept you. No, this was the plan that he initiated before the foundations of the world. Amen? He set his affection on us. He so loved the world that he planned to give his son for everyone that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but whoever that put their trust in Christ would have everlasting life. Amen? He longs. In fact, there's a scripture in Hosea where he talks about his heart turns over within him and he longs to show mercy to us. That's powerful. That's a loving God. 
So God doesn't reluctantly say, man, I, I guess I'll accept you. Just, man, one mistake, you're out forever. No, he loves us as, his, as children. Oh, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? First John chapter 3. So we have peace with God. And it's interesting. We have to be careful because we have to stay focused on the cross. We've got to be careful not to look at how good we are. Am I good enough to be accepted? We'll never be good enough to be accepted. It was Christ's sacrifice good enough to be accepted on our behalf. Yes, it was. We obtain forgiveness through faith in him. Amen. Now we're called to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith and we're trusting and following him. But it's, the, it's his grace through faith that saves us. Amen. And it's, sometimes we have to be very careful because we get to the point where we forget or we're not focused on the enemy gets our focus off of what Christ did for us. Or we think we're still at war with God when we're not. You know, in 1 John chapter 3, near the end of the chapter, it says, if our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. The Bible talks about how there's a lot of forces that will condemn you. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He'll hurl condemnation upon you as though you can't be right with God. Job's friends condemned him, didn't they? Along with Satan. They were called miserable comforters. But even your own conscience or your own heart can condemn you. But in 1 John 3, it says, if our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. So sometimes we're in a state of forgiveness because we're trusting the Lord, but the enemy will bring up the old things that we used to do or you know, he'll, he'll, make it, he'll make us try to feel condemned. And you got to be careful with that. I t- told this story a long time ago, but I didn't give a lot of details. But I mentioned this guy before, but I only ma- gave a couple details. But I thought I'm going to look more into this guy's life. And he's a real guy. Lieutenant Haru Anoda. H-I-R-O-O-O-N-O-D-A. A Japanese soldier, lieutenant. He's a real guy. You can click in his name if you want sometime. Haru Anoda. And you'll see his picture in Wikipedia and story, his story is quite interesting. He was the last uh, World War II Japanese soldier to surrender from the island, from the Filipino island named Lubang. And in 1944, before the end of the war, December 25th, Christmas, he was dropped in the Philippines with some other soldiers. And just over a half a year later, in August of 45, the Japanese had surrendered. And he didn't get the memo. He thought he was still at war. He thought the U.S. and their allied forces were still out to kill him and do him in. Now, he was in the Philippines the same time my dad was in the Philippines. And this was before my dad was my dad during World War II. He was a paratrooper. And he was in the Philippines. And he was supposed to uh, go to Japan and be dropped off in Japan with other people, other paratroopers, which most likely you, that happens, you don't come back alive. So I wouldn't be here today. And uh, the U.S. dropped bombs, the you know, atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and the Japanese surrendered, and they surrendered, and he didn't get the memo. He thought he was still at war along with his buddies, and he was sent there as an intelligence officer with commands to blow up a pier and cause all kinds of havoc. And the other members, one of them ended up surrendering uh, a few years later in 1950. One of them surrendered. Another soldier was killed in 1964 or 54, about nine years after the surrender, uh, in a skirmish with police officers. 
and another was killed in 1972. You're talking a long time after 45, right? And then in 1974, and this was after efforts of dropping leaflets that the war was over, pictures of family members saying Jap Japan surrendered. They thought it was all U.S. and Filipino and their allies' propaganda. And he thought the war was still on. And it wasn't until 29 years, almost 30 years after World War War had ended, World War II had ended, that Onada uh, was visited by his commander. And his commander was able to locate him because somebody was visiting. A guy was visiting from Japan and he was looking for a few different things. He was looking for this particular soldier who was rumored to still be alive. He was looking for like three things. One of the things he was looking for was the abominable snowman too. You know, it was during the hippie era, right? <laughs> and he didn't find the abominable snowman, but he found this soldier and he said, hey, the war's over. He didn't believe him, but they became friends. He thought, well, maybe it's not true. He brought back his commander and the commander that he was under let him know the war is over. And at that point, he surrendered. Surrendered his rusty sword, a military rifle with 500 rounds still available to him, a dagger which his mom gave him to kill himself should Japan ever surrender, which he didn't do, thankfully. Uh, and it's interesting because the emperor had told this commander to go fetch him. Marcos, who was the president of the leader of the Philippines at that time, gave him a pardon, and he was pardoned. The sad thing is, for all of us, is many people don't realize that when Christ died on the cross, he already paid the price for the whole world, amen? And he's, he's willing to pardon everybody. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, beginning at verse 17 through 21, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, listen to this. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Catch that? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I love that. That's what was going on on the cross, man. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we have peace through the cross. We have peace with God. And guess what? Unfortunately, his fellow soldiers continued to think that they were at war with the Allied forces and except for the one who surrendered prior to him, they were all killed. And how many people go down dying not realizing that they could have peace with God by simply surrendering and recognizing something far more than the U.S. government did for these folks or Marcos had done for them, that God actually paid the price of the crimes that we committed so we could be forgiven and so that we could have a relationship with him, amen, and live with him forever. So there's also peace not only through the blood of Christ, through the cross, peace with God, but there's also peace through the storm. Peace through the storm. One of my favorite illustrations of peace in the midst of a storm is regarding a king 
who asked his subjects, had a little contest on who could paint the most beautiful picture of peace. And as the story goes, there were amazing pictures, but it came down to two different pictures. One was this incredible skyscape with fluffy clouds and, and mountainscapes, just towering mountains. And in the midst of these towering, beautiful mountains, this beautiful, beautiful lake. And it just was so serene, so beautiful. And the, the king loved that picture. But there was another picture that he liked even more. And that was a, that was a picture that didn't look so peaceful because there was an angry sky, just dark and foreboding and storming and raining, you know. And there were also mountains, but they were jagged and barren. And there was a waterfall, but it was a, a bubbly, foaming waterfall, not a very peaceful-looking waterfall. But in the midst of that, just to the right of the waterfall was a crevice. And out of that crevice, there was a, 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 a limb, and there was a bird's nest there. And there was a mother bird snuggled at peace in the midst of all that darkness. And he loved that picture because, you see, the king had said that, you know, uh, peace, peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all those things and still be calm in your heart. That is the real meaning of peace. That anecdotal story is really pretty powerful to me because Jesus said in the world we're going to have tribulation, amen? You know? And there's going to be struggles, there's going to be trials, there's going to be hard times. And if we think, man, if we could just look for that, you know, never-ending sunset, right? Or we just look for that perfect place where there's just peace on the river or at a lake or at a beach or up in the mountains. You won't find it in this world, not if you're living for Jesus. Jesus said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen? Oh, there's going to be time of blessing. There's going to be time of great joy. There's going to be time of, of rest and peace for us believers at times. But there'll also be times of heartache and pain and sadness. And it's so awesome to know that you can have peace in the storm. Amen? That's what I want. I want to know that I can have peace in the midst of the storm. And I can absolutely have peace in the midst of the storm through the person and the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's interesting because in the Gospel of Mark, we read two different experiences the disciples had on the Sea of Galilee whereby they were concerned about the storm that was taking place. And keep in mind, a lot of these guys on that boat <laughs> were rugged fishermen. They'd been on the Sea of Galilee over a hundred times perhaps, easy, since their childhood. In fact, probably far more than that. But there was such a storm where even these men were concerned for their lives and told Jesus, you know, one time they woke him up and said, don't you care that we perish? So they obviously thought they could possibly die. But it's interesting. Jesus said something quite fascinating in the second time around, in chapter 4, verse 35, I should say the second time around, but the most poignant one. It says, one evening Jesus... And his disciples set out to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus fell asleep. A great windstorm arose, and waves were spilling into the boat. And the windstorms of Galilee could just, you know, kick in all of a sudden. The disciples were terrified and screamed at Jesus to wake up, saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, peace, be still. And the wind ceased into a great calm. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you so little faith? Now the disciples feared Jesus and said, They said, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, we know who he is. He's God of the flesh. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says that the oceans obey. Psalm 89.9 says that, the, uh, that God rules over the oceans and he subdues the storm-tossed waves. Amen? That's who he is. But I think it's fascinating because we have peace through the gospel, through the cross. We have peace with God. Amen? And we have peace in the midst of the storm. And if we call out on the Lord in faith, we don't have to say, Lord, don't you care that we perish. That's where they lacked faith. Of course he cared that they didn't perish in that. He's the one that said, let us go to the other side. Where was their faith to believe the word that he gave them? Amen. So that was the concern he had. They need to put their trust in him, that he would get them through the storms. And we need to trust Jesus that he'll get us through the storms, no matter how big those waves rage around us. This is a great picture. It's a tr- these are true events that happen, but they're also pictures for us that God cares for us as we go through the ship of trials that we face in this world. And that's imperative that we understand that. It's imperative that we understand that Jesus is the good shepherd. Amen. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. Amen. He's with us through the storms. He's with us through the fire. He's with us through the water. He's with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And whether it's COVID-19 that people are concerned about and fearing and freaking out, we need to fear the Lord. That's who we need to fear, amen? We need to fear God. And he'll take care of us one way or another. Yeah, but people actually die. That's right. But if you put the Lord first in your life and you're trusting him and you have peace through the cross and you have peace with God, amen? The Bible says to live as Christ and to die is what? To die is gain, Amen? It's gain if we're trusting the Lord, you know. So it's amazing the peace that we can have through Christ. Paul says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The Lord allow us to go through a lot of heavy things so he can manifest his life in us. So he can show us that he is the Savior. So he can show us that he is Lord. So he can show us to trust him. Paul goes on to write a little bit later in that same chapter, verses 16 and following, therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, How many can say amen? I know that's true, right? Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So we have peace through the storm. These are one of my, some of Jesus' favorite sayings I said regard, uh, that I love regarding this subject. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift of peace of mind. 
peace I give unto you, as the King James says, and heart. And the peace I give to you, the world cannot give it. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. The peace I give to you, I'm giving you peace. Not like the world gives peace. I give you real peace, Jesus says. And I love John 16, 33. I have said these things that Jesus says to you that you, in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen? Think about that. He said, I'm saying these things to you that you may have peace. He wants you to experience peace. How? In the world you're going to have tribulation. Yes. There's going to be trouble. It's inevitable. The Bible says this man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Yes, there's going to be trouble. In the world you'll have tribulation, says Jesus. But be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Follow him. He's the good shepherd. He'll lead us through this, this mess, amen. He'll lead us through this storm. He is the good shepherd. Number four, we have the peace of the Spirit. You know, there's all kinds of different gifts, right? We read in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, Romans chapter 12. All these passages talk about different gifts and it says that each Christian, each believer has at least one spiritual gift that's God given them, given them. Just as people are physically born and everybody that's physically born has different physical gifts, attributes, at least one or more, right? Well, we each have a spiritual gift when you're born again. And it talks about these various gifts and how God distributes them as he wills so that as a body we'll work together. But the, the fruit of the Spirit is quite different. The fruit of the Spirit isn't divided up differently to where we all need each other in the sense of some people have some gifts, some people have other gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is different. We all are to have the fruit of the Spirit, amen? And there are different nine, as there's nine different aspects of that fruit. I say nine different aspects because it mentions nine aspects. And I say aspects because when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's in the singular he talks about the works of the flesh, factions, you know, you know, factions and disunity and all these ugly things, sorceries and adulteries and drunkenness and all these things that people who practice them, he says, will not enter God's, inherit God's kingdom. But he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit, singular, love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. These are things that he wants all of us to experience, Amen. And they all go together. Love. So if you experience the love of God through faith in Christ, you're growing to love him more and growing in him more. You'll experience not only the love, the fruit of the Spirit, you'll experience the peace of the Holy Spirit. So we need to walk in the Spirit, trust the Lord, and allow his Holy Spirit to bring peace to us. Lastly, number five, peace through prayer. Peace through prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, we meant, Paul, now keep in mind, I love to point this out because Philippians becomes so much more powerful when you recognize that Paul is in prison when he's writing it. And it's in this epistle that he talks about rejoicing and having joy more than any letter. Yet Paul is chained between a couple prison guards. Paul is anticipating eventually being beheaded by Nero. Yet twice in chapter 4 he mentions having peace. I mean, think of that. Think of that. He's writing to those outside who are under the sunshine, free from the Roman oppression, at least not what he's experiencing, right? He's encouraging them to have joy. He's encouraging them to have peace, experience that peace. But prayer is a big part of it. We can know in our heads what Jesus did and how much he loves us and how he paid the price and we have peace with him through the cross and we're not under God's wrath. 
and we can experience the peace of God through the Holy Spirit, but we also need to make sure that we're praying, that we're seeking Him. Because in Philippians chapter 4, you can go there if you want. Philippians chapter 4, Paul states something quite heavy, knowing he's going to be dying eventually. He's going to be beheaded. He says, rejoice in the Lord, verse 4. Always, again I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for what? Be anxious for nothing, but in what? Everything. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Finally, he says, brethren, whether it's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there be any other excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't dwell on the latest thing on Netflix that's filled with filth and, and smut. Amen? Be careful what we behold, you know. I'm not saying there's not some good things to watch, but they're far and few in between. Amen? Don't just click and just think everything's going to be good, you know. Even things that tend to be good, sometimes you've got to fast forward things, right? It's crazy these days. It's really sad. But it's interesting. Paul mentions peace a little bit later too. So, but, and I, we only have so much time, but I want to encourage you guys. Pray, man. A lot of times we don't experience peace because we're not praying. We're not cast, the Bible says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Amen? Be anxious for nothing but in everything, right? With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, right? Then he'll give you that peace that passes understanding. Amen? But look, it's interesting. Because in verse 9, right after what I just read, listen to what Paul says. Powerful. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. He's talking about being a role model. To follow his example. And I'm saying, okay, what is Paul? Paul's in prison. Paul has joy. Paul has peace. He's saying there's something to follow in him. There's something to follow in him to where we could have peace. Look at verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Don't just do them once or twice, but practice these things. And the God of what? Peace will be with you. I want to know what Paul's talking about there. Jump down to verse 11, just a couple verses later. Not that I speak from want, like I need something. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. This is the example he leaves for us so we'll have peace. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatsoever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to get along in prosperity, in any and every circumstance. I love this. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret, Paul? The very next verse, verse 13. I can do all things through him who what? Strengthens me. Amen. That's the key. Whether you are in a, having a prosperity or you're in need. Whether you're suffering hunger or you have abundance. You can be at peace because that's what verse 9 was talking about. 
that we're to follow his example so we can experience God and his peace. That we can experience peace, how? Whether we're bounding, as the King James says, or abased, as the King James says. That's how I have those verses memorized. We can have the peace of God. How? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how. So guess what? Today we just had a bunch of tri-tip. Thank God the Lord seemed to have multiplied those tri-tips because it did not look like it was going to last. And we were blessed. And we're blessed here. There's time of peace. There's no rioting around right now. Crickets are chirping and we're flicking our pages and we're around all kinds of dozens and dozens of believers that love the Lord. And we're in his word together. We had some beautiful worship that Tony led us in. You know, we have great fellowship. But there may be a time where guess what? We don't have much to eat at all, if, if anything. Right? We're being persecuted. It's illegal to be a Christian in a lot of countries. You know that. You can't practice the Christian faith in certain Muslim lands. In China, you can't really evangelize. There's all kinds of churches just in the last few months that they're, they're destroying the buildings, imprisoning the pastors. That could be us. You know, New Zealand, Australia, the United States are outliers. We think, oh man, well man, we've experienced a lot of peace in this country as believers. Thank God for that, amen? Thank God we have a government that allows freedom. But guess what? That's an anomaly compared to what goes on around a lot of the world where Christians are hunted or outlawed. So you need to be very, very thankful. And if there comes a time when you're going through persecution, you, don't, you feel like, man, I, I could really use just some rice and beans right now I'd be thankful for. Remember, the Lord's blessed us and he's given us the secret. When we're doing good, we're supposed to be content and be thankful. Amen? So we can say, thank you, Jesus. But also, we're going through hard times. We know the secret. I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me. Because the key isn't what we have in the material world. The key is having an abiding, eternal relationship with your Creator that never ends. Amen? That blows anything the world has to offer. Jesus says, what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And this is what I love about the cross. This is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about the Lord. He gives us peace through the cross. He gives us peace with God. He gives us peace through the storm. He gives us peace through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? He gives us peace through prayer. And guess what? We have peace regarding our past, our present, and our future through Christ. You know how many people, millions and millions and millions of people have horrible, sad lives because they feel guilty about the past. But guess what, man? Christ took care of the past, amen? All of our sins are forgiven, amen? It says our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, and we shall not come into condemnation. We've been declared righteous. So our past is forgiven. If the enemy comes and haunts you about the past, you're, amen? Do you, do you accept that and say, yeah, you could, whatever you tell me about the past is true? I say, you know what? My past, yeah, I have, don't have a great past, man, before Jesus. Before I, when I was, I turned to Christ when I was turning 18, but I had lived a horrible life up to that point. But it's forgiven, amen, declared righteous. Do you remember the enemy was attacking Job and made him think about his past? And Job said, why would you not forgive the sin, my sins to the Father? But the Father had already declared him righteous. In fact, he declared him the most blameless man on earth, Job chapter one, the first couple of verses, amen. But the enemy was hanging all that past over him. But then he thought he was at war with God again, but he wasn't, amen? And then he realized, my Redeemer lives, amen? And I will see him in the flesh. So don't let the enemy condemn you over the past. We have peace regarding our past because of what Jesus did for us, amen? What about the present? 
Whatever we go through right now, he said he'll never leave us or forsake us. Amen? In fact, he'll work everything together for the good right now for those of you who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? And the present sufferings we go through we just read aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that we revealed. What about our future? Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions or many dwelling places. If we're so, Jesus said, if we're not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And I will come back and receive you unto myself. Amen? He went on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Amen? So in the future, praise God, absent from the body is to be present with what? The Lord. And one day when Christ comes, he'll descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and survive or remain will be caught up together to meet them in the air and to be, to be to, together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ forever with the Lord. Amen? It has not entered into the eye, the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, or into the ear or into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? So man, your past forgiven. Your present, he works it all for the good as you love the Lord. Amen. Your future, it's already taken care of. He's preparing a place for you. You need to rejoice. I need to rejoice and be thankful for the peace of God that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Could we all please stand? The Lord is good. You know what? Can you guys all kind of step up? Because you guys are like in outer darkness now. <laughs> It's very weird, man, because all the lights are up here and there's like so many people way back there, you know? Praise God. Tony, you got a song, bro? Where's Brother Tony? Put him on the spot here. No? <laughs> nice and honest there. All right. You know what? Let's